Good morning again. Yeah. Uh, before we jump in, I want to do two things uh, a little bit unusual or out of the ordinary today. One is we multiple times mentioned Father's Day, and uh, I want to acknowledge that for a lot of us, Father's Day is a great day. Uh, it's going to be for me a U.S. Open Sunday where I just kick back and watch uh, uh, golf, which none of y'all get apparently. So U.S. Open is happening today. It's important. You should go home and watch the U.S. Open today. Uh, but it, it's a great day for a lot of us, but for a lot of us, it's a day that, that doesn't evoke memories that are very positive. Um, for a lot of us, it, uh, it, it comes with a lot of pain. A lot of us had distant fathers. Um, a lot of us have um, longed to become a father, and we've had struggles with infertility for various reasons. And for many of us in this room, this day is more difficult than it is joyful. Um, and so in a minute, we're going we're gonna to pray. Uh, we're going to pray over our uh, our family members, this local church family, we're going to pray over those of us who, uh, who that's true for. And then the second thing is right now, one of our members, Anna, is in Charleston, South Carolina, helping lead worship with this uh, eight churches that have come together, uh, eight churches that have come together to say, we, we want the gospel to break into our community and in our context to such a a degree that it brings an end to racial strife inside of our country, and we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray that God might be unbelievably gracious in these days, um, in the days to come, uh, that where there has been long historic division, that the hope and the joy of Jesus might penetrate and the church might lead the way in modeling what a reconciled life looks like, so much so that our city here and our country that we live in might get to taste a little bit of the new heavens and new earth today where there will be no racial strife, there will be uh, no lack of reconciliation, that we'll all be one in Christ, united access to the, it'll be glorious. And so I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for both those things and then we're going to jump into the um, end of the sermon. Father, I love you and I bless you and I, I pray again, I pray for uh, those inside of our family, those inside of our city uh, who uh, who are in here, that Father's Day does not evoke positive memories. It, it brings up uh, the pain of life currently, it brings up pain from our childhood, it brings up a thousand different reasons why it's not the joyful day it is for, uh, for, for many of us. I pray that they would know the comfort of Christ today. I pray that they would know that they are loved by us and our love for them is an extension of your love for them. And then I pray for uh, for those eight churches coming together in Charleston right now. I, um, I, I, pray, I pray. I pray, Lord, that the gospel might be put on display in a uniquely powerful way today. And that those in Charleston might lead the way for the rest of us. pray that there would be an end to this nonsense, that there would be an end to division over what color skin people have. And I pray the grace of God would penetrate the church and that might overflow into effect on society, that you would bring an end to injustice today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Uh, we've been going through a series on First Timothy, and the, the theme of our series has been the household of God. And, um, and we said that inside this household, inside the church, is where our gospel identity gets formed, it gets, it gets fostered together, and the foundation of our house uh, in week two, we said, was 
the grace of God in Christ, the grace of the gospel. That was the foundation to our, um, to our house. And now we're through the rest of the letter of First Timothy. We're building out the structure. We're building out the structure to uh, the house. And today is no different. We're going to keep going. So um, let's get started. I've got a, um, I've got a friend of mine who uh, we've been in a debate over the last, I don't know, two, three, four weeks over uh, who's the greatest of all time, right? Is it LeBron or is it Jordan? Um, I get it. It's a silly debate, isn't it? Um, my buddy thinks it's LeBron and clearly that is not true. Um, amen. It's not even close to true. In fact, there's no objective evidence to say that LeBron is better than Jordan. None whatsoever. Um, it's an obvious, clear, we're all united. It's Michael Jordan. He is the greatest of all time. Six rings would have been eight if he hadn't taken a couple years off to play ball, which made baseball made no sense. But as a Houstonian, I'm grateful for it. Um, but no matter who it is, right, LeBron or Jordan, if you've ever seen him play, especially if you've ever seen him in person, uh, when they're in front of you, it is uh, apparent. It is right in front of your face. I could never play like them, right? I, I could never play like them. As a, as a child, I was told, Brandon, you can just do anything you want if you just put your mind to it. Lie. All lies. I, I used to wonder, like, do my parents feel bad saying this? Like, surely around three, four, they could watch me run and know, nah, it's not going to work out for him. <laughs> he should find something where he reads for a living. That'd be a better gig, uh, <laughs> right? But it's not only sports. Right? It's not just sports. So a couple months ago, my wife and I, we, we went to the Houston Symphony, and um, we're at the symphony, and this, uh, this violinist named Augustin Heidelich, this German guy, you, you don't have to like classical music to know that when you're in the presence of this man playing the violin, you are absolutely speechless. I mean, you are speechless. It was amazing. And I could never do it, ever. It is profoundly clear when he's in front of you, whatever he's doing, I don't have the musical chops to ever, ever do. And here's the point, right? Whether it's LeBron, Jordan, Hadelik, there is a level to which they play their game or music that is simply Yahtzee, simply unattainable. It is unattainable. It is unattainable for me. It is unattainable for you. You will never be Michael Jordan, no matter what your mom or dad told you. All right. No amount of practice is unattainable. And I, I think that sometimes, and this is what I'm trying to get to. I, I think sometimes we, uh, we look at Christian leaders, right? We look at pastors, we look at our parish leaders, we look at other, and we or just people that we look up to. And we think that they've, they've attained some kind of like unattainable spirituality. And the Bible actually says the opposite. Um, the, the Bible gives this list of qualifiers and markers to be a leader inside the church. And it's actually just ordinary, everyday Christianity that we should all be aspiring to. And so here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to take these two sections, right? This, this, this part that we're in, it's got two sections. The overseer, which is synonymous with pastor, elder, whatever phrase I use. No, I'm talking about one thing. Um, and then deacon. And we're going to we're going to take this list of qualifications and we're just going to apply them to ourselves. We're going to let them sit, let them rest on us. There's a lot of overlap in these lists and we're going to see it both as a qualification for leadership and as just what normal Christianity ought to look like. Um, and we're going to see that what the leader has to be is simply what the member is called to be. All right, so let's get started. Verse one, the saying is trustworthy and true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so let me, let me just talk about what the overseer does. There's, there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, about what an overseer in the church, what a pastor, what an elder, 
um, does inside the church, and for obvious reasons, for good reasons. All right, I I understand why my neighbors, um, many of my family, think that my job is really about control and kind of moral manipulation of the people around me and the people inside of our church. I I get socially why they think that, but that is not the role of the overseer inside the church. And so let me kind of illustrate it. Imagine, imagine for yourself that you're inside of your house. Um, if you don't have a house, imagine it's an apartment. Wherever you live, imagine you're inside um, and you're sitting on the couch. And outside, it's storming, right? So think like tropical storm bill, which was such a letdown, right? I, I was so ready and it just never came through. It was like sprinkling Sam out there. And so imagine it's storming outside, but inside the house, it's calm. It's calm. Why? Why? It's because you have a roof. You have a roof protecting you. The roof isn't all you have, but that roof is your first line of defense from the storms that are outside. The job of the elder, the job of the overseer, the job of the pastor is not control, it's spiritual protection. It's to be the roof. It's to be that first line of defense against the storms of life to create a safe, calm place inside the house where our gospel identity can be formed, fostered among us. It's not control, it's spiritual protection. And the qualifiers, the qualifications for this, not superhero, just ordinary. Let's start in verse two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach is just kind of a a governing statement that everything else that comes after it's gonna gonna be qualifying what it means to be above reproach. So it must be above reproach. The first one, the husband of one wife, literally a one woman man. So here's, here's the first qualification. Men, be devoted to your wife. This is not superhero. This is not rock star Christianity. Husband, be devoted to your wife. Be a one woman man. And here's the thing for a lot of us that I, I, want, I want to sit on us. A lot of us in here think that we are and we're not. A lot of us in here think that we are and we're not. All right, a lot of us in here have been pastoring for 12 years, and so I, I don't need to know the details, and, but I know this is true. Many of us in here think, my wife doesn't meet my sexual needs, therefore I, you fill in the blank. And, and your justification is, well, at least it's better than cheating. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, because the text the last month and a half seems like just keeps bringing this up. There are many of us in here, not many, that's an overstatement. There are some of us in here, I pray this isn't true. Odds are this is true. There are some of us in here who are going to have an affair one day because we think a double take is no big deal today. And God is calling all of us to be a one woman man. This is not rock star. This is husbands. Be devoted to your wife. Be a one woman man. If you are single, be prepping yourself now to be a one woman man. And ladies, you're not off the hook either. If this is normal, then it's also for you that you are to be a one man, a woman. And uh, it, it's, I've heard this in my time here. So I don't need to say this is from my past. I brought it to Sojourn. I'm telling you here like, that, that, that a consistent, like my, my husband doesn't provide for me the way I want him to financially or emotionally, or you fill in the blank. And so you give yourself to imagining your life with someone else. And you are to be a one-man woman. Devotion to our spouse, 
the pastor's devotion to his wife is meant to be a reflection, a model, a mirror, a picture of Christ's devotion, Christ's commitment to his bride, to the church. Let's keep going. So husband of one wife, sober-minded. Um, literally, that word, it, it, it really just means sober. Uh, it's sober. It's sobriety, that you're not to be drunk. And it's the first time Paul mentions it, so hold on to it. We're going to come back to it. Um, sober-minded, self-controlled. Self-controlled is it's emotionally unstable, right? It's that you're not emotionally unstable. You don't, you don't make decisions based on just the emotion of the moment, right? You're wise, you're slow, you're prayerful. You, you make this, you don't, another way to say it, you, you don't panic easy, right? You don't see something, panic, react, and make a decision. You are stable. You're self-controlled. You're respectable, not perfect, not perfect, right? So um, it, it should always be our objective to be civil um, and that when people around us disagree with us, they would say, I disagree with what they're saying, but I respect why they believe it. I respect that person. I disagree with that person. We are to be respectable. So far, nothing Jordan-like, right? Some stuff that may be LeBron, but he's not as good. So nothing Jordan-like. Respectable, hospitable. Hospitable, that, that God has welcomed you into the family. God in Christ has extended hospitality to you, and the overflow should be our hospitality to one another. And the best way to measure this is your dinner table. The best way to measure um, are you hospitable is your dinner table. There's other ways. I think this is just the best way. Who's at your dinner table? Is it always just you and your roommate? Is it always just you and your family? Or are your neighbors, are people inside the church? Is it co-worker? Do you, who's at your dinner table? All right, hospitality. And now we hit the next one, which is kind of a distinction uh, on elder and deacon. Um, hospitable, able to teach. I need to clarify able to teach. Uh, able to teach is not talking about preaching. Uh, it's not talking about this, what I'm doing right now. 517 later in First Timothy is going to distinguish the two. Uh, they're side by side next to one another. Um, what elders don't have to be required to preach. They have to be able to teach. That means they've got to be able to sit across the table. Um, they've got to be able to sit with you, articulate the scriptures, and be able to show you Jesus out of the scriptures. And if you want uh, a good test, if you want to put an elder to the test, just go, hey, man, how about Obadiah? Show me Jesus out of that one. How does that work? Ask us to do it. No, don't ask us to do it. Give us a week and then ask us to do it. Like, give some warning for that one. Uh, and so um, now I, I know that you hear that and you think, well, okay, so here's the distinction. All right, here's the big distinction. Um, I'm not called to be a teacher, right? And so this can't just be ordinary because I'm not called to be a teacher. That's, that's actually not true that Colossians 3.16, um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another. Um, it also says it in Hebrews that by now we ought to be teachers, that, that there should be this objective goal, desire inside of us to be so given to the scriptures that we would be saturated with the scriptures, that we'd be able to sit down with one another, not do this, not even leading a parish, but being able to sit down one another and encourage one another and teach one another and communicate and apply the scriptures to life with one another, that when you get together um, at a Starbucks or at a, uh, you know, a better coffee shop somewhere, when you get together, I'm just joking. I like Starbucks. Um, that's not true. I lied to you. I don't like Starbucks. Um, I like Boomtown. They're good. Um, when you get together and you're talking life, um, your advice, your counsel shouldn't just be worldly wisdom. It should be um, wisdom 
um, that's rooted in the scriptures. We are all called to be able to teach the scriptures to one another. Um, it's an ordinary part of how life should be lived. And we pursue this in three ways um, inside of Sojourn, uh, inside of our parishes, what we call everyday teaching, our classes, structured teaching, and on Sundays, authoritative teaching. And yes, we do plan to start classes. Um, I know we've been talking about that for like a year, uh, and it's going to happen um, probably just a few weeks after we're back in our building, uh, which has been some progress. And so if you want to know that progress, look at our announcements from, uh, from last week. All right, keep going. Um, not a drunkard, not a drunkard. This is the second time he mentions it. We're going to come to it in a minute. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And this doesn't mean, um, so when it says not violent, but gentle and, and not quarrelsome, it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that you, that you're a coward, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean coward. Don't, don't hear that, right? So Jesus, um, there's a scene where, um, Jesus walks into the temple, is pretty upset at what's happening. And he walks around, he flips tables. Um, there is a, there is a holy quarrel that's happening in the scriptures that does happen in the scriptures. What, what it, what I think it means is that, that you're not belligerent, right? You're not, um, you're not a you're not a bully, not spiritually, not emotionally, not physically. You're not just a, a belligerent guy. And I know no one's going to say belligerent. That's me. Um, you want to find somebody belligerent? Look at me. Um, I'm that guy. So let me let me kind of say it this way. Um, it, it's that your reputation isn't argumentative. All right. When someone thinks of you, that they wouldn't think, oh, that guy, that guy is argumentative. That guy's kind of a jerk. That lady is kind of a jerk. It means that people find you approachable. Um, and not just physically, but, but approachable in the sense that they, they think, okay, this guy did something and I need to talk to him and I can go and I can talk to him and he's not just going to blow up and he's not going to have a thousand defenses every time. He doesn't have a billion opinions that are um, highly controversial. He's gentle. He's not quarrelsome. Not cowardly. It means that you're approachable. It means that um, you're not argumentative. So not quarrelsome and now not a lover of money, um, that we're content with what we have. And I, listen, I, I love you and I love being your pastor. And I want to tell you this. I want to, I want to plead with you to keep this on guard, that you would not live a life of comparison between what I have and what they have. When you live life in the city, it is easy to live a life of comparison. It's subtle and it's dangerous. I want to plead with you to fight, um, fight against this. Not, not any and not all comparison, right? So it's, it's okay and normal to go, man, that guy has that house and I have this house and I wish I had that house. That'd be, um, that'd be great. But it's a different kind of comparison. When you look and you say, okay, this person lives here, this person has this life, and I'm upset about the life that I have now. That, that will breed and foster a kind of discontentment that is a quick way to wreck a life and to wreck it fast. And if you find yourself um, upset at what you have because of what someone else has or what's what upset about what you don't have because of what someone else has, um, then that's kind of a flag that love of money is drowning out love of Christ in your life. And the Father, I think, would say to you, not I think, I know the Father would say to you, the Father would say to you, you do have what they have. You have Christ. They have Christ. You both have the supreme treasure that the world has to offer. You, you don't need the subordinate treasures. You have the greatest treasure. You have Christ they have Christ. And if you want a Christ plus someone else life, dangerous, dangerous. Let that sit on you. 
verse 4. He must manage his own household well. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Listen, you, you can fool people here. I can fool you. You can fool me. My wife and my children will be the mirror that doesn't lie. My wife, my children will be the mirror that doesn't lie. And it, it, it's why it's important that if you're single, you have a roommate. Your, your roommate will help be a mirror that doesn't lie. Not a perfect mirror, but they're a mirror. You, you need places. You need places. I need places. We need places where we can't hide. We can't pretend to be something that we're not. That's why you need a roommate and pleading, pleading. And we will continue to plead over and over and over and over that our parish should be places that you don't hide. That when you step into life inside of community, step into this rhythm of life inside of the church, when you're in a parish, that it would become a place where you don't hide as much as we want to, as much as I want to, as much as you, that it would be a place where you don't hide. We need life in the light. We need places that we can't hide. And we need places that we're just not willing to hide. Pleading with you, let parishes be the place that you're not willing to hide. So again, this is not rock star Christianity. If you have a husband, shepherd your wife. That's not true. If you, have, if you are a husband, shepherd your wife, disciple your kids. Verse 6. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. There's a weighty reality of that statement. That statement has an exceptionally weighty reality to it that he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil that's both for and by the devil, and that your desire of leadership inside the church, particularly here, that desire for that desire for pastoring, eldering inside the church should be one that is with caution and with care. With caution and with care. And then the devil's going to come back in the next one, so let's just keep reading. Verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now here's what's straightforward on this text. What's straightforward is that what your neighbors think of you, that you have a good reputation with your neighbors, with your coworkers. And here's what's not straightforward. And I want to sit on this for a minute. And then I want to pull this up to what it's saying about elders and ask you to pray for us. That, that what, what's not so straightforward, what's underneath this text is the hidden spiritual warfare that the roof goes through, right? So as the, the roof... Okay, we're, there, there's, a, there's always a consistent exposure to the storms that are outside. Um, and we have these, uh, this group of elders and um, two elder candidates right now, uh, and they love you. We, we love being your pastors. It is our joy to help care for and shepherd this body and help create this environment where there's safety for and calm for, uh, for gospel identity to get formed inside of us. Um, but they live... Uh, life outside, they live life inside the storm. And so with the storm beating on them, and so I want to ask you to pray. As we pray for you, I want you to ask, you don't want to ask you to pray for us, that there would be protection around their home, that Christ would be cultivated in them, that they would continue to be men um, who, who walk holy and fervently before the Lord, that the storms of life would be um, resistible, if you will. And now there's a shift. There's a shift as he turns to deacons. And the word, uh, or verse 8, it says deacons likewise. And the word deacon, it just means servant. 
And so a deacon is someone who's set apart by the elders of the church for the um, care, service, um, uh, equipping of our covenant members. And in our household analogy, um, if the, the elders, the pastors are the roof, the deacons are the walls. Right? The deacons are the walls who um, both protect and care for who's inside the house while supporting the roof. I'm going to hit a couple of distinctions and then move through because there's a lot of overlap in these two lists. And so deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. And that's the third time he mentions not addicted to much wine or sobriety. And there's actually going to be a fourth in the minute. And so I just want to say it now. I want to, I want to say this is an area where, uh, where our church, our little local family, this Sojourn Heights community, where I think we need to be on guard. Uh, I, this is not a rebuke, not yet but I think we need to be on guard uh, in this area um, that sometimes freedom isn't freedom. Sometimes our freedom is really a lot of bondage. Right? We're in bondage to something. We're reacting against a church culture that we grew up in maybe. And so we embrace it, but we call it freedom. And it's not really freedom. And listen, I, I love a good cab. I think Chilean red wine is the best bang for the buck out there. I'm a fan of IPAs, good IPAs. And I want us to be on guard that we don't, shift and we don't just kind of drift into a community of people um, that would fall under this kind of rebuke from Paul. Let's keep reading. So likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And now, now here's Here's what's interesting about this list is there's this kind of shift from, uh, from elder to deacon that within the elder, it's, you have to be able to teach. And now here it becomes holding the mystery of the faith with a, with a clear conscience. And I think why Paul is writing the letter, if remember back to, uh, to week one, will really help us in seeing what's happening here. That, that week one, we said that Paul's writing because these false teachers had, had come into the city, the church of Ephesus, and had said, hey, listen, it's not... It's not Christ, right? It's obey the law. Uh, and so what they were doing, what these false teachers were doing is they were demystifying the faith. They were saying, hey, there's, you don't have to embrace the mystery of Christ. Just obey the law. Just obey the law. And that is what God expects and wants and desires out of you. And this is why our parish leaders are deacons and why what happens inside of our parishes are so important that inside of our neighborhood parishes where we fight the tendency to try to live a law-driven faith. It's where we collectively and communally on the ground say no to what the false teachers had to say and yes to what the gospel has to say. Where we learn to live a life by faith, by grace. And then verse 11 and 12, um, he keeps going, but he hit a little bit of biblical debate that I'm not going to go into right now. Um, and it says their wives likewise must be dignified. Uh, the debate is whether this is wives um, of deacons or female deacons, we land on the side of female deacons. There's really good biblical arguments on, um, on both sides, but tomorrow we'll post a blog, a link to a blog that someone else wrote, uh, that kind of helps explain why we land on the side of female deacons. It says, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober minded. That's the fourth time faithful in all things and let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. And so here's an observation. As we go through this list and we see the overlap from elder to deacon, we see this kind of organic unity between the two. 
did you notice that Paul really never throws in what they do? Like he never throws in, this is what an, what an elder does, this is what a deacon does. Uh, he just gives us list of qualifications, kind of characteristics, markers of, of who they're to be, and they're incredibly ordinary. They're incredibly ordinary, they're an incredibly ordinary list of what the Christian life should look like. This is, this is what he's saying. This is what the Christian life should look like. And the question is why? Why would Paul give these characteristics without giving the function? And I think the answer to that question, the answer to why there's not function takes us to the primary function of the elder and the deacon and their primary function, the primary function of those who are overseers or deacons inside the church is to live life as a living reflection of Christ, our true shepherd and Christ, our true servant. The first Peter five, four, Jesus is called our chief shepherd that in the cross of Christ, when Christ was on the cross at that time, here's what was happening. Christ was embracing your sin. He was taking on your sin. Christ was placing himself underneath the storm of God's wrath so that he could become our perfect and permanent roof. He could become that place of eternal safety, eternal, eternal security, that protection for our souls. And then Mark 10, 45 says that for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. The word serve is literally deacon. It's literally, it's, it's the word deacon. That the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That in the cross, Jesus became the eternal servant of your soul. That when he laid his life down, he was serving you by reconciling you to the Father. He was bridging the gap. He was bridging the gap between you and God, eternally serving you, serving your soul. And I know that this list. Um, uh, didn't feel, I mean, it, it probably didn't feel ordinary to a lot of us, right? So I, when, I, when I read this list, and here's, here's my confession to you, when I read this list, um, I, I can look at my life and I can go, man, here's one where I, where I knock it out of the park, here's one where I don't, here's one. So this morning, for example, my, my four-year-old son um, did something. He spoke to my wife, his mother, in a certain way, and internally, man, I just snapped inside. Like, I just just went off inside because the way he talked to her. Like that's, like I, I need the grace of God to continue to cultivate in me these characteristics, these markers of what ordinary Christianity is meant to look like, that I might become more and more of a man of God, more and more given to the Lord, more and more able to respond to all of life with grace. I'm not there, you're not there. We're all a work in progress, each and every one of us. And so if we're each a work in progress and each of us are not there, and it seems like we'll never get there. Where does the ability to get there come from? And it's in verse 13. Back in First Timothy 13, it says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence. So this statement so far, clearly to deacons, but let's apply it to everybody with these last six words. And a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The faith that is in Christ Jesus. Whenever you see the words in Christ, in Christ Jesus, I want you to circle it, flag it, underline it, highlight it, whatever it is that you do. Because it's in Christ that we are able to live out the life of Christ. That when we're in Christ, Christ's life becomes our life. And we can live out these characteristics. These can become the ordinary markers of our life. And I've been guilty of something. In this role, 
um, serving you through the, this ministry of the word right here, teaching and preaching the Bible. There's an area where I've been guilty for like 10 years and um, you guys have gotten the last year of it. Uh, and that, that is guilty in overemphasizing the effect and weight of sin on our lives and underemphasizing the impact and the power of Christ in us. And I want you to know that you bring a lot of your past, you bring a lot of this life in a fallen world into your life with Christ. But when you are in Christ, you have the life of Christ and by the spirit of God can now live out the life of Christ. And so where I have swung the pendulum, um, I, I ask your forgiveness. And I want to say to you, and I want you to know that no matter how far it feels, no matter how distant it feels, no matter how much of a failure you might feel like, in Christ you are in him and you have his life and his life can become your life. And you have the life of Christ. You have the ability of the Spirit of God to live out the life of Christ, that you can live what leaders are called to and required to, or what you're called to and what leaders are required to. Ordinary, everyday Christianity. Nothing superhero about this list. Nothing superhero about what a pastor or an elder is called to. Nothing superhero about what you're called to. Be devoted to your wife. Be um, emotionally stable. Be self-controlled. Be respectable. And know that Christ was for you so that you could live it out today. Let's pray.